like to avoid glare, yeah. and I can just. Yeah, we've been kind of uh, big pieces of art. Jason, Jason, you're stroking out on us again. Yeah, actually, you've gone eight bit. Yeah. And he's frozen. <laughs> All right. Great start. Great start, everybody. Yeah. Um, Jesus, it's been like this the last few nights. Bit of a pain. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm back. In. Welcome back. Jesus, Zoom hates me today. I know Zoom hates me tonight. Yeah. So yeah, I know people have been sharing their work, different pieces, or we've talked about it. Um, so yeah, uh, whatever works for you, whatever visual medium you want to use, we're all for it. Yeah. But, but I don't see Tito. Where's Tito hiding? Uh, Tito is like ten feet away. <laughs> Quick cameo. He says hi. All right. Yes. Yeah. Tito. Oh, hello. <laughs> Beautiful. Tito's got his own trading card. Yeah, I lifted him <laughs> right from a nap. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, eighty-seven tops. Your cruelty knows no end, there. <laughs> oh man. Uh, so you're based in LA, right? I was. Uh, right now, I'm in suburban Maryland. Oh so right. This is okay. where, yeah, this is where I. This is where I grew up, and so. I had the option to work remotely when the old world ended, and I've just been kind of sticking around ever since. Well, fair enough. Uh, where in LA were you? Because we've ended up talking to various people from LA, so. I was just straight up Central Hollywood, just like Vine and Sunset. Yeah, okay. You're the party district. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, just in the middle of things. Uh, yeah, I know. I, had a, I have a buddy who lives in West Hollywood, so I, I spent a lot of time there and walking around. Yep. Three yeah. miles that way. I know, I know. But being that we're European, I walk everywhere. So I told him, I told him I walked down that way. And they're like, are you serious? You, you walked three miles to go see it downtown? I was like, yeah, what else am I going to do? I, I got free time and did that. And then uh, I stayed with a buddy in Venice for a month. And he was literally like 15 minute walk to the beach. He's like, I've lived here for over 30 years. I've never walked to the beach. I've driven. <laughs> I've taken my bike down there. I've skateboarded, but I would never ever walk down that way. The, the culture there. It's like once you once you get in there for a while, you forget how to walk entirely. Well, as I said, we were talking to uh, uh, Les, who lives in Nebraska. And he just says, yeah, you, you don't walk. Like he said, he, he's like, I don't even know where I would could walk to. So. That's things like, I never complained about the traffic in Los Angeles. So like, it takes 40 minutes to get anywhere. I'm like, yeah, well, it takes 40 minutes to get anywhere in Maryland. You know, it's like, I, I grew up 40 minutes from everything. There's no difference. It just takes 40 minutes to cover less distance. So I know you're an Orioles fan. Are you closer mm -hmm. to the Orioles? Or are you closer to the Nationals? Well, you can't just show up and tell me to love you. Yeah. So Wait, I don't know that, but stadium-wise, which one's closer to you now? Uh, closer, honestly, hmm. I think they're about equidistant. Right, okay. Yeah, Nas Nationals Park is just maybe like 10 minutes closer than Camden, right. but also it just Kind of feels like a mini mall. Nationals Park has a very minor league stadium feel to me. It's very, very low to the ground as far as stadiums go. It doesn't have the majesty. I like that it is connected to a metro station, though. I feel like all baseball stadiums should have a public transit option. Just drop you off right there. Yeah, I know what you mean. So yeah. um, uh, you can do that with Seattle. I'm from Seattle originally, even despite the fact that we're broadcasting from Edinburgh. Um, wow. Yeah, it's been 17 and a half years. So uh, 
uh, I need to walk everywhere for now metro station so yeah I have a I'm a little I, I grew up an Orioles fan I'm fond of the last Nationals team I'm fond of Max Scherzer especially with our autograph card right yeah. here yeah I saw that. but I was above all <laughs> well, like I said, uh, we were talking, uh, oh gosh, who we were talking to, but he was an Expos fan and we were asking him about, well, how's it work now? He's like, yeah, I couldn't <laughs> celebrate that one. And I've got a, I've one, got an Expos pen right, right <laughs> behind me. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see, what was I going to ask you about? Oh, it's, uh, I know you're a comedian. Uh, mm -hmm. We'll go into that more, but have you ever uh, done the Edinburgh Festival? Oh, no, I haven't. I never really traveled outside of the country. I went... I started in the DC Baltimore scene, went up to New York for a bit, ended up in Los Angeles, and then got more into writing and live production. And then that's sort of where I was until recently. Right, okay. So how'd you get in? Did someone just uh, say you're a really funny guy and you started that way or was it something you aspired to or? Uh, it was just, uh, how do I say it? Just something to do, honestly. Right. <laughs> You know what? What do you do when you don't have stage fright and you enjoy writing things? So you know, there's no no issue getting on stage, and then once you get on stage, it was easy to stay on stage and then to find more stages. Right. Okay. All right. Yeah, that works. It's just because I, I used to work in the sandwich shop when I was first over here, and uh, this guy was just cracking us up. And we're like, "Man, you should be a comedian." He's like, "Funny you mentioned that." And so, and it just literally had somebody to say, "You're really funny. You should go into comedy." And he goes, "Do you really think so?" And then did an open mic night, and then this is blossom from there. It's like I just took. I, I've always taken structure incredibly seriously, so. I actually don't think I'm all that naturally funny. I just understand the the rhythm and structure of humor more than anything else. And like, I really take the time to fine tune material and to write things very carefully. And some people will think that you just go on stage and make it up. And I'm like, no, actually I've been slowly refining that joke over the last seven years of my life. <laughs> Would you say that you're more of a writer than an entertainer then in that regard? Oh yeah, I never, I never knew what to do with my arms or my hands or anything. I'm just... <laughs> yeah. I just, yeah. the secret is I just kind of enunciated things well. So. <laughs> but I would say, so obviously you're a comedian, a writer, an illustrator, a performer. Did those all come hand in hand then? Because obviously you've got to promote yourself. And so you just find yourself doing flyers and stuff like that. Because the reason I asked that is because it was that your promo card is awesome. Yeah. Because, well, that's where a lot of, a lot of it grew out of. Like before I was doing trading cards, I, uh, I was doing gig posters. I was doing album art for people. I was doing, um, like in comedy, my favorite kind of comedy is uh, multimedia work. So I'd be on stage telling jokes, but there'd be like a giant screen behind me and I'd have illustrations and photoshops and all kinds of visual gags to support the stories that I'm telling. Right. And so, yeah, that's that's kind of like where it all sort of grew out of. like. My, my trading cards were just like a fun thing because I, I grew up collecting baseball cards and non-sports cards. And I liked the idea of if I have to have a business card as a comedian, I'd rather have a, I'd rather just have a baseball card. Mm -hmm. And then other people are like, oh, I want a card like that. And so I ended up doing cards for people's pets or for their comedy shows, for musicians, for their bands. I did some for people's weddings. Like I would do a set of trading cards of somebody's groomsmen, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so when the art card boom blew up, I already had a mechanism. I already had a system. I already made high quality cards. It was just a matter of, am I just going to do these for athletes and pop culture icons? 
Yeah, cool. That, that's that's how you do it. I mean, it's easy enough. You're already doing it now. You've already had the medium done for a while, and so you might as well jump in head first and go. Okay, what can I do? Yeah. Proud of the work. You know, they're they're great cards. They shine. They're six. It's sixteen point stock. You know? <laughs> and then now you have to get the the touch cards to go with them, so you can have the touch cards. Like, okay. <laughs> John, you yeah. want to get started then? Absolutely, yeah. Welcome everyone uh, watching live and on demand to another episode of Ball Caps and Bagpipes and the first of three uh, interviews we have tonight for the NLBMR fundraiser uh, with a talented artist named Justin Cuson. Cuson. Uh, uh, did, did none of that, was none of that before this a part of the broadcast? <laughs> we were live on Facebook, but that's not part of the audio version. That's just... Uh, all right, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that well, that was everything. I already said everything that I need to say. So. That that was my life up to this point. <laughs> I'm John McKellar of uh, Ball Caps and Bagpipes, and there's my co-host Jason Durr. And I'm Jason Durr, former league president and baseball Scotland Hall of Famer. I'm also the owner of Dugout Classics. So, Justin, uh, we always start each interview with the same question. Uh, that question is just uh, tell us about your baseball background growing up. Uh, do you follow a particular team and uh, did you play growing up? And if so, to what level and what positions did you play? All right. All right. This is a, this is a fun one. Uh, I guess, honestly, I grew up in a football household. Well, you know, American football. My dad's a Steelers fan. He finds baseball extremely boring, but he was a football fan and a comic book collector. But I got into baseball, as did my brother. So I started collecting cards in early age. I played baseball from when I was a kid until high school, did not play in college, but started playing again as an adult. <laughs> and I stopped playing organized baseball like last year, actually. So I'd just like to give a shout out uh, to my friends in LA. We were, <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> just a, I'd just like to give a shout out to the uh, Los Angeles Parks League Bandits, uh, Los Angeles City Champs, uh, winter 2018 uh they forgot to send me the placard for the trophy but it's a very big trophy and a very stupid one with four batters all absolutely beautiful. you think they could put a guy pitching or something you know maybe got a pitcher maybe got a fielder but no we got we've got four batters we're all the same dude. did you did you pitch in that game by any chance <laughs> i didn't <laughs> the the dumbest thing about that I played I played second base uh, primarily is I found my fastball uh, when I turned 30. <laughs> so I, I'm currently experiencing a velocity uptick, which is useless. Just absolutely, oh, there you go. I have I have no use for it. I don't know if organized Parks League baseball will ever return. And by the time it is, I feel like I I'm, I'm about ready to stop playing. Um, I was playing in the Parks League and in a much less organized league where my gimmick was I used to catch and then I would go in to pitch. Uh-huh, okay. Well, there you go, Jason. Your, yeah. your fastball is always not lost for your fastball. I always said another year or two, maybe I'll make that comment. <laughs> you may find your fastball at 48. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Justin, uh, do you have any particular memories uh, from growing up watching Major League Baseball <laughs> or that stick out in your mind, a favourite game that you've attended or seen on TV? Uh, my favourite game that I ever attended was 
it was in 2012. My, my favorite team is the 2012 Baltimore Orioles. And the best game that season for me was the night they were dedicating Cal Ripken Jr.'s statue at Camden Yards. And the Orioles entered the game one game back of the Yankees for the division lead. Mind you, this is the same season that they broke their 17-year streak of losing records. So it's September. They're one game behind of the Yankees. It's the night that they're dedicating Cal Ripken's statue. So Ripken is there in attendance, as are a bunch of like 90s O's, Brady Anderson, all those guys. And the Orioles jump off to like a quick, like five to nothing lead. It's fantastic. And the Yankees come back in like the sixth inning and they tie. No, I think it's like the seventh. The Yankees tie the game five, five. And we're all suddenly just the, the wind is taken out of the stadium. And then the leadoff batter of the next inning is Adam Jones. Jones hits a home run. I believe like one batter later, Chris Davis hits a home run. And then Mark Reynolds hits his second home run of the night. And that just puts the game away. It was, it's my favorite game I ever went to. Always take the big lead, lose the big lead. And then they crush the Yankees hopes immediately afterwards. I got two home runs from my personal favorite baseball player, Mark Reynolds, the single season strikeout King. <laughs> That's it. Like he's, he's my sentimental favorite because he, he will always be remembered for breaking the 200 strikeout barrier then breaking it again, then breaking it again. But he also hit eight home runs in eight games in September 2012 to give the Orioles uh, a share of first place in the AL East and end that losing season skid. That team, that's, they're, they're my favorites. Like the 2014 Orioles, I felt were the most talented Orioles team of recent memory, but the 2012 team was the most fun, the most unexpected. And I, I would have loved for that to have been Jim Tomei's ring, but to get to really get into it, I'm just going to say they got robbed in the ALDS and Nate McLeod's foul ball was a home run. That's it. Game five, <laughs> Nate McLeod, that was not a foul ball. That was a home run. They were robbed just like how Jeffrey Mayer robbed them in 97, <laughs> 96 actually. Ugh. I hate I I hate the mayor game. That's saying Derek Jeter didn't need all those rings. He was going to be fine. <laughs> but 90, 96 was the mayor year and 97 was the year that Mike Messina was let down tremendously by the offense. I give the 2012 O's the edge over the 97 O's because like I'm I'm still mad at Cal. I'm still mad at Brady. I'm still <laughs> mad at Palmero. Mike Messina set the Orioles single season. He set the single game strikeout record in the playoffs and got no run support. That was more or less the story of Mike Mussina's career, even after becoming a Yankee. Um, I'm, the guy just couldn't catch a break when it came to gun support. Um, just, that guy would, I, he, he would he's, you know, he went from being a surefire Hall of Famer, which his ability and most of his numbers would suggest, to a borderline Hall of Famer who a lot of people think still shouldn't be in. I feel the deep irony. Down. There's a deep irony of Mike Mussina going in the Hall of Fame in the same class as Mariano Rivera. Because Mariano was obviously the unanimous Hall of Famer, but Mariano blowing the save stopped Mike Mussina from getting his ring. I was like, I think I know one person on the stage who might not vote for Mariano for <laughs> That being said, uh, yeah. there should have been so many first ballot. There should have been so many unanimous Hall of Famers before Mariano. Drippy. Yeah, it's, yeah. 
it's one of those like, things where you're either a Hall of Famer or you're not. It's yeah. like there really should there's like already a kind of uh, a bar that's been set yeah. that says this is Hall of Fame. If you reach that bar, then surely that means that you're in. And there's but so no, many but... there's so many weird gaps in baseball history. There are like yeah. there are so few catchers in the Hall of Fame altogether. Bill mm-hmm. Freehan is not a Hall of Famer, and he was an eleven time. lose justin we did we lose him i thought it was me i was like oh no he's frozen it looks like oh it, it irks me it irks me it's like i feel like oh it's up is my connection glitching out yeah it was. Oh, we'll go, you're back you're back it's fine. i just get so angry when i'm talking about the bill freeman <laughs> hall of fame <laughs> he's shorted every every wire in his house yeah that thing's like <laughs> Right, so I, think, I think the fame part needs to be carried over just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. It's not a hall of merit. It's not a hall of longevity. There are some guys who just deserve to be in there because like if, if you go to the Baseball Hall of Fame, you should see like the most notable players of whatever era you were a fan of. Right, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I agree. Uh, Jason? Roger Maris. So I was going to say, how would you fix it then? Speaking of Hall of Fame ballots, would you give them unlimited votes then? So that because that was always the catch was they said, well, there's only ten people, and maybe one guy needs to get the votes in so they can make that seventy percent uh, or seventy five percent threshold. Would you just go unlimited votes so that way? You yeah, could... I I would vote for everybody on the ballot. You know that I feel is justified. Yeah, right. I think that's a very simple way of doing it. I think that I kind of like what they're doing with expanding the committees and not just doing the veterans committees mm-hmm. but that is how that's how harold baines just got in it <laughs> yeah. kind of it feels like cronyism but also cronyism got us a bunch of 1930s st louis cardinals in there in the 70s so yeah, yeah i think harold harold baines i feel would be a hall of famer if he if harold baines had a world series ring if harold baines had like a definitive postseason moment combining that with his stats and longevity i'm like yeah that's a hall of famer right there but to me harold baines like as much as i love him maryland represent he's he's on the lower tier there are guys who deserve it more than harold baines who are not in the hall of fame like bill freehand uh, i'm not yeah. <laughs> absolutely 100 bill freehand is one of that's just one of my personal cases right here i feel the way that they evaluate catchers especially like i can't believe there's even an argument about against yadier molina no, no, he's got to be a first ballot, no problem. That's it. The advanced stat nerds hate him. Like, yeah, because War doesn't measure catchers' defensive metrics well enough. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, no, it's like, no shit. He's a he's a hall of famer. <laughs> well, so we were we were we asked um, Dan from Pillbox, uh, John Misson, every yesterday. Um, Dan from Pillbox, who's based in Minnesota, and I asked him his opinion on Joe Maurer. He's like, well, I'm a hometown guy. Like, I, I can't say no to Joe Maurer being a Hall of Famer. But we get a lot of people out here who started baseball late because it's hard to find baseball out here. And they go, well, I saw Joe Maurer as this below average first baseman, but they didn't actually catch all his career there. So they go, I oh, know Joe Maurer's not a Hall of Famer. It's like, that's the thing. It's like, I, I feel like a, a good 10-year peak should be enough. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think too many people hold the, the second half of Andrew Jones's career against him. Like, I absolutely, I think Andrew Jones is a Hall of Famer. People are just upset. It's like, oh, so Andrew Jones didn't have, he didn't become Nelson Cruz when he turned 30. But I'm like, if you look at, 
if you look at the gold gloves, if you look at the home runs, you look at the iconic postseason moments, like multiple home runs in the World Series as a 19-year-old. Yeah, he should have hung out with Brady uh, Anderson more, and they could have, you know, had those great moments. <laughs> Brady Anderson arguably has more of a Hall of Fame case than Harold Baines, if you ask me. <laughs> Uh, Power and speed. Brady Anderson and Eric Davis are very similar players. Eric, Eric Davis is like, I, I love Eric Davis. Not not a Hall of Famer, but just like one of the great what ifs. Like a guy who, if he was healthy, would have given you 40 home run seasons and who 40. stole 80 bases in a season, you know? He yeah. could have been a he could have been a 50-50 man. Easy. Yeah. Same uh, season. Yeah. So yeah, Brady. Brady Anderson is like one of the only guys who's done both, stole 50 uh, bases in a season and hit 50 home runs. Bobby Bonds, absolute Bobby Bonds, Hall of Famer. I'm trying to think who. Oh, you know, I was, see, I had this uh, argument with, with, a, with a friend, and we were talking about Albert Bell for a 10 year period. He was Absolutely. Yeah, but he was such an asshole that there no one's the <laughs> It's like, yeah, he didn't even, he couldn't even get that MVP award. You know, they just gave it to Mo Vaughn because he was nice. But Albert Bell, absolutely terrifying hitter. Great competitor. I hear he's mellowed out. He has, he has a bunch of daughters nowadays, you know? He's, he's not throwing baseballs into the stands anymore. <laughs> he's not chasing people with his car. Good for him. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> know. Yeah, I think if you talk about 90s hitters, I think you say you top five. Albert Bell has to be in that. One. You know, no one wanted to play against Albert Bell. Like, or, I think he... I think he hit like 50 home runs in one of those strike shortened years, you know, I think in 95, I, I think his 95 stats are just like disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the player strike, player strike took a lot from people. I mean, like Fred, Fred McGriff's 500 home run case. The only person who benefited from the player's strike is Jeff Bagwell. So there was an interesting uh, argument about that because it said if the 94 strike hadn't happened, McGriff would have hit 500 home runs. Mm-hmm. He lost out in what 40 games, 50 games there, and he would have easily yeah. cleared that 500. Yeah. Yeah. I, think, I think McGriff's McGriff's McGriff is Harold Baines, easy, you know. It's like he has such he has such a great reputation, solid hitter, good guy, the sort of the sort of dude that just waltzes in like Tony Perez style, you know, like not not the best of the best, but a damn good ball player. And then they let him in. Not only that, he had the Tom Amansky videos, which are just legendary. That's fame. <laughs> I have no, I have no issues with Fred McGriff Hall of Famer. All right. Well, we'll have to do something, and then we'll have to get onto the ballot committee somehow. We'll work that one out so we can get McGriff in and everyone else. Cool. All right. So we'll talk about your work, but um, what I was to ask you was about how did you get into your, your feud with James Blunt? I would not <laughs> like to get in, dude. <sighs> because <laughs> i do the research john just comes here so i was like what the fuck <laughs> well <sighs> <John's pissed himself. laughs> one moment you gotta you gotta let me know what we're gonna be talking about here one second <laughs> It's in bio, John. If you read the bio, <laughs> I gotta see if I have it. <laughs> one second, one second. <laughs> 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 it's like, dude, uh, <laughs> I was not ready for for this, Jason. <laughs> There's a whole story to, behind it. It's a great story. It's posted on his website, <laughs> yeah. and it was yeah, what like, I wanted to ask him about because it's a great story. And 
I wanted to ask that before okay. you're working. <laughs> well, I, I stole. Well, I stole this from Kmart as like this is the uh, <laughs> the little rat card that you'd have the CDs in front of it because I didn't mm -hmm. want to pay for his album. Right. But in high school, when I was like 15 or something like that. Me and my friends on I uh, we ironically skipped school. We just left class like at the beginning of the day and announced that we were going to go uh, camp out to meet James Blunt, and we did. And he was doing one of his first U.S. Uh, he was doing one of his first U.S. Uh, shows in D.C. And being a, a couple of little shits, we made fake set lists that just consisted of I believe ten occurrences of "You're Beautiful." followed by an encore of You're Beautiful, Enter Sandman, and You're Beautiful. <laughs> and I got him to autograph said set list after he crossed out one You're Beautiful, saying that he's a little bit sick of that one. He was extremely disappointed that me and my friends were not uh, young, beautiful women, because that was what he was used to having lining up for him before. And he asked us if we were going to a show that night, and we said no. <laughs> <laughs> we said honestly after meeting him it was pretty cool we're like it's like we would love to but tickets are all sold out and he said yes to the beautiful women um, so yeah james like honestly pretty cool guy i enjoyed uh i enjoyed meeting him and i got his autograph on several strange items like this uh <laughs> like this did, card did you guys, i stole like, find out which hotel he was at or was he like doing like a, a show signing or something or no he was just at we we just our school was pretty near the club. So we just skipped school to line up at the club until the tour bus got there. Gotcha. Okay. And yeah, so that's <laughs> just what we used to do. And then several years later, several years later, I posted the set list on Twitter. And then his account took my image of the set list and tried to give it away to people. They're like, hey, does anybody want my old set list? And I'm like, one, that's not yours, that's mine. Two, I would like my 150,000 likes for my content. Mm -hmm. And subsequently, uh, I have never forgiven him. He talked about it in Billboard magazine. The second time I've been in Billboard magazine, by the way. <laughs> and gave me credit for the image because he went on like this big, like sort of PR thing of James Blunt. Oh, he's actually funny. I'm like, excuse me, that's my content and my joke. You're just a collaborator here. You're Elton John. I'm Bernie Toppin. I did the writing. So <laughs> I'm still, I'm still a little upset that he uh, called me a guy on Twitter. When like, excuse <laughs> me, hi, shout out, shout out, shout out, shout out. You owe me, shout out. Um, and to this day, we're in slight conversation because. He does owe me a favor. I have not cashed in the favor for various reasons, mm -hmm. but I will at some points. Um, but until until then, he is he is my enemy. I occasionally laugh. He got scurvy uh, a couple months ago. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like I, I laughed. I laughed when he got scurvy, and <laughs> like I'm saying, like basically, just don't don't take people's content on Twitter. Uh, at the very least, he could have retweeted some of my jokes or retweeted my actual tweet. And uh -huh. yeah, I hope he gets scurvy again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, J John, John sitting there, he, he might have wet himself here because he was not expecting the conversation. <laughs> <laughs>
I just the thing is like I usually I have the set list somewhere right. like the actual one it's like he because they post it they posting my image I'm like yeah that's my desk don't act like that's your desk James but that's my red Ikea desk you'll get that set list from my cold dead hands James <laughs> you should uh, you should write a will and leave it to James Blunt in your will yeah. it's like yeah for for a while um according to Wikipedia I, I took credit for writing you're beautiful <laughs> see how he liked it <laughs> oh tough song, tough song man <laughs> so, so it also oh, says you're, you're a fictional podcaster you do the nodcast <laughs> nodcast and the rim baldcast which one's the most popular one? Oh, the nodcast absolutely we love to absolutely. talk bobbleheads yeah pretty great a lot of people are upset right now because um there were many bobbleheads promised for right. the Major League Baseball season, that didn't quite happen. Like, especially <laughs> in Los Angeles, the big controversy is everybody wants their uh, Max Muncie go get it out of the ocean bobbleheads. Yeah, yeah. And they have not, they've not been made publicly available. Like, they, they exist. They're somewhere. They mm. will not give them to the fans. You're going to have to go find some kind of warehouse and then track it down and see where it is there. Mm-hmm. I do like what the, the Washington Nationals, and I think a couple other teams have been doing this, uh, delivering ballpark food via like uber eats or whatnot and you get a bobblehead with your ballpark food which i think is a great idea oh that awesome. is a great idea that is a good idea yeah. it's bringing a wee bit of the ballpark to you while we can't go that's that's quite a nice move yeah i just and also I, I just, money it makes money it makes sense <clears throat> honestly it's like just let people buy the bobbleheads though it's like i i feel like most people like they travel a good amount of distance to get to the ballpark <laughs> the food will be cold it's mainly about the promotional item. Exactly. I mean, that was it. I mean, growing up as a kid in Seattle, it was like you got the schedule and you looked what, which ones were the ballpark giveaway days and you went to those games there because my Mariners sucked in the 80s. So it was all about the promotional, getting the, the, the mini bat or the uh, the poster or the growth chart. They had the, the Randy Oh, the growth, growth chart so chart. good. <laughs> yeah. I, had a, I had a Michael Jordan uh, Washington Wizards growth chart growing oh, up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just high-end stuff just <laughs> the, 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 how you remember him <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, gosh were they the wizards yeah, they were the wizards and they were they, they had transferred from the bulls or they changed the name from the bullets but yeah yep yep um, still speak- terrible terrible name i i, I agree 100 percent. uh it is a terrible name it's- although i do i i'm very much a supporter of washington football team huge fan of that happening right now that's good what, what do you think is going to be the the winner when they choose one i think i think washington football team is a perfect name and mm-hmm. i think they should stick with it and i think they should change the color scheme to match the nationals and the capitals and the wizards there should be a league-wide mandate that that's where all the teams get called <laughs> seattle football team new york football team other new york football team I like the idea of Washington Football Club just to mess with uh, the soccer fans. Washington like, FC. <laughs> yeah, I just like Washington FC. Yeah, I'm in. I'm into that. But yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of uh, native uh, iconography in sports teams or mascots. It's like if you go to to my commissions, like there are players and teams that I refuse to draw, and I have to. I have to turn down like a like a Ricky Vaughn like every two weeks. Oh, I just, really? Okay. Yeah, I turn down a Ricky Vaughn every two weeks. I did a Shane Bieber, but he's wearing the the C block, and 
he's wearing his not justin uh players weekend uniform yep, yeah. in the action shots like so i work around that and i get a lot of requests like because obviously tops project 2020 has been like a huge thing for the card art movement mm -hmm. and people frequently ask like why wasn't hank aaron in the set i'm like it's because they don't want artists doing like caricatures of like the atlanta braves mascot there are no braves in 2020 and there are no cleveland players in the project 2020 set and i'm a hundred percent sure it's to avoid artistic representations of those mascots hmm, that's an interesting take on that because i know blake had the tops guy on one of his shows and they were discussing various people because i know Ryan Sandberg came up in the discussion there, but I think since they already had Tony Gwynn, you can't have that 83 yeah. tops. And that's, that's a terrible card. A oh, terrible I love the 83 tops. It's, it's, it, no, the, the Gwynn, it's 80% butt. He's got his he's got his rookie number on. It's like, it's not a it's not a good card. The good Gwynn rookie is the Fleer rookie going on the record. Right, so I, I think for that, the win. All right, hold on. Because I have my cards in front of me in the man cave I'll here. Be, I'll be right back. Yeah, no worries. All right. So you, you did not see the conversation headed in this direction, did you? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, uh, I, um, I did my research on there, and I was just like, oh, I, I can't not interview Justin and not ask about the James Blunt beef. <laughs> see, Jason didn't warn me. Uh, about that if, uh, ahead of time. Um, I, I wasn't expecting to hear stories about James Blunt um, and certainly not that one. All right, well, as we're waiting for Justin, let's go and see what we're doing game-wise. So, a quick update of the... Stephen Loudon is uh, watching the show again. Uh, thanks again for joining us, Stephen, but I've kind of followed up with him after, after this comment. Nice hat, Jason. <laughs> Nice hat, Jason. I, I, I wore the hat on purpose. I knew you'd love it. So Stephen, if you up Stephen, or Stephen have, have a word for yourself, Stephen. That's 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 shape patter. The yeah. uh, the hat's horrible, and uh, the rays are horrible. All right. So Justin's back. So Justin, yeah. I, I do have that Fleer that you're talking about there. Yeah, that's the best Gwyn rookie um, by far. I like that one. I also got my, probably my favorite Orioles card of all and time. Brown goes with the uh, San Diego colors. Yes. See, there you go. Oh, yeah, I got. Uh, yeah, I got him right here. Yes, everyone's you gotta have that card. Everyone's gotta have that card. And let's see. I also. Oh, wait one second. Let's uh, screen share. All right. Yeah. Let's share some of your stuff because we got about ten minutes yeah. here. So fantastic. Let's uh, share screen. Desktop one. All right. Are we just hanging out on my desktop? And let me get to where's Billy? Hmm. I think that was one of the things when I started kind of buying cards about two years ago again. I was like, yeah. I got to get a Billy Ripping card. Like, I just. Are we. I have to. Are, am I there? Yeah, yeah. Are we Billy? Yep. We are Billy. Yeah. yeah. So there's. Okay. So you can see him. <laughs> Because I see, I still see me in the little corner right there. So I'm not sure if I'm actually screen sharing properly. Yep, yep, you're fine. I, I, but yeah, it's like, yeah. So there's there's Billy right there for the um, for the benefit set. Actually, I did my favorite piece is this new Ernie Banks right here. Oh, nice. One of the notable Cub omissions. Nice. But yeah. Also with a certain presidential cameo right there. Mm -hmm. 
like as far as the work goes, like I was going for sort of a, a cut paper look to the action shot and the inset. And I think that really succeeded. This is one of my absolute favorite pieces. I did a, I did a Gwyn piece. Once again, there is that butt forward, butt forward Tony. Yeah. But I did, I made some changes to it. I put in his proper number and then paired that with a more 90s Gwyn with a little bit more flair to it. It's like that thing, you, you need a good headshot in there. My issue with a lot of the cards selected for Tops Project 2020 is just when they're rookie cards, you're not really seeing players in the ways that we remember them necessarily, you know? Absolutely. Like the Ricky Henderson pose is great, but that's not how anybody remembers Ricky Henderson. We we think of Ricky stealing bases, you know, not at bat necessarily. Yeah. But then, well, see, speaking of Tops 2020, you're seeing that evolution of the cards now. And you're really seeing the first ones, okay, yeah, we've done it. And then the last, say, 100, 150 or so, people have really taken a lot of liberties with it. And I think that's what I'm really enjoying is their proper take of the card now. Again, I don't, I don't mean a disrespect to what the artists are doing. I'm just talking about rook, the rookie cards themselves, you know? It's like it's as far as celebrating certain baseball cards. Like, yeah, it's like some of them don't give you a lot to work with. No, no not at all. No. I like Max Scherzer uh, <coughs> being socially conscious there and the, wearing his mask. Yep. I just, nice one. Snuck that right in there. It's like, I'm never going to draw the World Series trophy ever again. It's like, granted, these are being shared on the screen, but the originals are much, much smaller. <laughs> oh, like we've seen that as we spoke earlier. Are we seeing him? Right. So, so it happens to be that Mike Mussina is John's favorite player. Yes, he's my guy. My, uh, my jersey number on the Glasgow Comets is number 35 because of Mike Mussina. I think it's like, and underrated altogether, you know, he could have, he could have won 300. He just didn't want to. Yeah. Guy, guy, just want, guy just wanted to spend some time with his family. He's too, mm -hmm. he's too smart to be a jock. True. His machine yeah. went to Stanford, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Three years. Economics degree. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. That's that things like, I, at the same point in his career, he and Tom Glavin are basically the same pitcher. Mm -hmm. So. Man, I, I'm not a big Going fan. Going out on top winning 20 games. Glavin was always just kind of there like he you know played on good teams and did I mean he, he did extremely well I'm not going to say he wasn't there but I think when you're pitching with Smoltzy and Maddox you know he was kind of the third wheel I think uh, Glavin was unlucky almost to be with uh, Smoltz and Glavin especially uh, Maddox rather especially Maddox like a guy who would be a, an ace on any other staff is going to always be overlooked by Greg Maddox cool. all right yeah and I love your Simpsons softball oh, series lovely. it's awesome <laughs> Thank you, thank you. It's one of the few ones where I'll just strip. Like you can tell, that's a direct homage to '84 tops. You know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I just um, thought I was like, I wanted a nice, uh, I wanted a, a nice set design that also allowed me to work in a headshot. Because as much as like I love the Simpsonized design, I also felt I could do a better likeness too. Some, mm -hmm. some of them just don't look right. Like roger clemens roger clemens especially i think is a is a bad caricature <laughs> let me bring up let me bring up clemens uh let's see where is he where's roger where is he sorry i have i've done like 80 cards in the last few months so yeah there's clemens like yeah that's straight up how he looks in the episode and he looks <laughs> <laughs> oh that's amazing 
Cool. Well, why don't you share a few more cards, John? You'll ask your question, and then we'll uh, we'll jump into uh, opening some cards, and we can chat about that. Right. So, yeah, the Negro League set was a real challenge because it's like we're we're dealing with such limited resources. Like, hey, which of the three photos of Josh Gibson ever would you like to draw? <laughs> it's like Oscar Charleston, terrific guy. Like two photos of him, no video. It's yeah. all very very interpretive. I know that was a problem when we had the first meeting about this and people are like, like I live on Google. Like I can, I can only find my stuff on Google there. It's like, will, will people have access to the archive? Uh, I don't know if it ever happened or not because I think everyone was kind of going, I only have so many of things to look at, so. Yeah. Um, my favorite thing was finding out what color these uniforms were. Mm -hmm. Like you see the, the same old photo of Satchel Page, which is obviously referenced right there. The same photo of Satchel Page we always see. But to yeah. actually know what the monarch's uniform looked like, I'm like, I did not expect, I didn't expect like all of these uniforms to be red. The monarchs, red. The Pittsburgh Crawfords, red. Homestead Grays, gray. But you know, probably could have been red and I would have, <laughs> I would have understood it. But yeah, that was my, my big surprise was being able to actually see, to, to look up and actually see what the uniforms look like in color. And that's something I tried to get across in my artwork just to to make them feel like alive and fresh oh there you go indianapolis clowns for hank aaron right here also you know there's some red a lot of red <laughs> let's see who else i did yeah satchel page once again kansas city red let's see i find ah uh, here we go buck o'neill once again kansas city monarchs red and red so book. love book so that's interesting. We've not seen actually a whole lot of Buck O'Neill, and me and John both think he's underrepresented in this one. I mean, yeah. everyone with like Satchel and Cool Papa Bell, but you're, I think, the first person I think that's done anything with Buck O'Neill. Really? It's like I've actually, uh, I didn't get to fit Buck on this card right here, mm -hmm. but on the back is Buck and his, his famous quote Don't feel sorry for us, feel sorry for everyone who didn't see us play. Yeah. So he's on the back of what I call the celebration card but he also gets his own individual card with basically, there's the same pose right there. <laughs> you know, cause there are like, there's like one photo of him playing. There are a couple of photos of him as a coach just, and then obviously like he was just such a great, you know, elder statesman for the game. So I wanted to illustrate that as well yeah. and representing him. But that was it because they, they asked us like who, uh, who we thought would be the best person to do. And we both said Buck O'Neill. I mean, uh, John said it best, you know, he was the living embodiment of the Negro Leagues for the longest time. Uh, and, and, you know, it was our closest link we had. And uh, yeah, it was interesting. You're the first person I think has done anything with Buck. Really? It's like, it's just one, it's one of the most, he's one of the most disgusting omissions of the Baseball Hall of Fame. It's like he, he should have been in there decades ago especially considering that his advocacy got other players inducted. Yes, exactly. It's like he was too, ar arguably too good of a man to make the case for himself. And yes. other people should have Absolutely. noticed that more. Yeah, completely agree. Um, let's uh, finish up then. Uh, we right. always ask our uh, guests the same question to close. And that is, uh, as an American, as an artist, and as a baseball fan, what did the Negro Leagues mean to you? And how did you come to be involved with the project? I was just, you know, I just reached out to, uh, I think via Instagram or via, via Gmail, just, you know, just a little out of the blue, but it sounded like a great collaborative project, uh, a great opportunity to work 
with other artists. But honestly, as, as far as it goes, like just the Negro Leagues need to be understood in full color. I think that the museum's incredibly important and the way that the whole structure, like it just, it feels like it's been disrespected by history in so many ways. The fact that Major League Baseball is only now considering acknowledging Negro League stats as a major league and that hadn't come up like previous to now. The fact that I like to, I hate, I hate saying this because it sounds, um, it never comes out right when I say this, but the integration of Major League Baseball was done in an incredibly selfish manner. And it's a great injustice that was done to the black community the way that it was done. The Negro Leagues were dead within 10 years of baseball integration. What happened was it was it was great that Jackie Robinson, you know, broke the color line. It was great that Larry Doby broke the color line in the AL. It was great to see players like Hank Aaron and Ernie Banks get chances to play Major League Baseball and thrive. But what really happened was the talent was stolen, was just taken from these teams and thriving, a, a thriving black owned business empire was destroyed within 10 years. These weren't just like sandlot teams. These weren't guys who were just playing for the fun of it. And that's a, that's a feeling that I, that I think comes across a lot in how the Negro Leagues are discussed. It's discussed as if these were just people playing like a lesser form of baseball. But this was an entire independent parallel league of black owned and operated teams. And it was destroyed within a decade. They took, Major League Baseball took the talent from the Negro Leagues and none of the front office talent, none of the owners, none of, think of how many people lost their jobs and lost their livelihoods and how many communities were just basically robbed of their thriving baseball teams. And I, I'm not the, I'm not the top person to talk about this. I believe that the scholarship um, needs to be promoted as well. And I believe there are uh, prominent black voices who need to be listened to on this manner, but just to be able to do absolutely anything to support the museum and support education about this whole endeavor, which lasted decades and gave so much to the game. It's like, I feel that's very important. That's a great answer. It's, yeah, like, it's, I, it's not easy to argue with uh, what you're saying, Justin. It's, it's, um, I think you're spot on. I think you've got that completely correctly. It's and, hard uh, to argue with history, but I think like looking back at like the, the NBA ABA merger, the way that certain teams were folded into the NBA, just imagine how much richer and better American professional sports history would have been if Major League Baseball expansion, say, took on like the Kansas City Monarchs or the Indianapolis Clowns instead of just taking a couple players. You know, imagine if Major League Baseball's expansion involved bringing in some of these teams and how much, how much better the sport would have been so much quicker. Mm -hmm. And the struggles of players like just 
it was obviously rough for players to integrate individual teams. And I, I just imagine what would happen if an entire team got to integrate the major leagues. Yeah. Good point. Not here to deal in hypotheticals. But. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. We've run out of time to open cards. We have another guest in about two minutes. Cool, cool, cool. Why, why don't you plug your social media and your website? Uh, all right. It's just my name at, uh, on Twitter and justincouson.com. Once again, still my name, slash trading cards with a dash between trading and cards. And on Instagram at couscards, C O U S S cards. Brilliant. Justin, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Please do come back on ball caps and bagpipes and open some cards with us next time. Um, I would love to. It's been an absolute pleasure, man. Um, My regards to the cards. (laughs) Have a good one. Cool. All right, man. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Bye.